and this is true We love to do the things that we're not supposed to do We don't need robbing, stealing, or mugging In fact, don't take it seriously, we're only bugging <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Whistleblowers Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Smith. I'm here as ever with Martin Gritton and Gareth Dobson. Martin Gritton, uh, big weekend last weekend. Turns out United aren't very good. Turns out Ranieri might not be very good and might be sacked soon. And Steve Bruce has gone. Your reaction, quickly, Martin, to those three big things. A tough weekend for managers, Mark. Yes, very concise. Perfect. Uh, Gareth, uh, have you got a noise that might accompany your feelings towards those three things? Uh... Yeah, that's exactly how I feel about it. Both intrigued and uh, not interested, so polar opposites. Um, Welcome to the show, gentlemen. Thanks for being here yet again. Um, This is a good weekend. We were just saying this, weren't we, before the recording. There's some really good weekends, uh, good weekends, good games happening this weekend. Um, And it starts, Gareth, on Friday night. I don't know what you think about Friday night games, but I actually am really into it. I'm really into the... Under the floodlights, Friday night, get the weekend off to a bang, or obviously, if your team loses, um, write the entire weekend off. What are your thoughts? Oh, yeah, I, I bloody love them. They're brilliant. And generally, mm. I, I think um, we've had a really good quality of games on Friday night. And I think it's the same. Players, well, I mean, we spoke about this last week, but you know, players get up for these games. It is more exciting. The fans get up for it. And, and conversely, you see that on the pitch. You know, that, that crisp autumnal chill... The yes. floodlights, you know, it's very vibey, as, as as the kids say. And this one is, you know, Arsenal, uh, Aston Villa is sort of packed with intrigue. Yeah, yeah. It's got to be better, hasn't it, Grits? A, a night game on a Friday, got to be better both for the fans, but also for the players. As an ex-player, talk me through it, would you rather be Friday night or Saturday morning? It's obvious, isn't it? Yeah, I love an evening game. I think I said that last time, didn't I? The, under yeah. the lights, it's a big one. Um, it just feels, we're back to the lockdown fixture list though isn't it with the Champions League Europa League uh, straight into Premier League I will lose track of where the hell I am but at least we no, that's as fine. Gareth says we've got a ding dong uh, you know these two teams parity in terms of league position but um, you know momentum taking Arsenal in one direction so we'll see we'll see how that get, that goes but um, yeah I love watching Villa and Villa are just banter team they're my banter side I love them yeah they're, they're probably one of my favourite sides in the league but they haven't started that well this season Gareth they've been really hit and miss um What's going wrong? I mean, the, the game at the weekend just gone, the sort of collapse at home to Wolves. It doesn't really happen that with Aston Villa. I'm not really sure what's going on there. But but more importantly for me, they haven't still quite clicked going forward. Obviously, they've lost my boy Jackie Grealish. Um, Ings has come in, looks good. Watkins looks a little bit out of place. What, what do you make of it all? I mean, they, they're now playing two fairly dedicated centre-forwards, so I guess that's a change in system. Um, I it's probably hard to overstate how important Jack Grealish was, but it is probably worth you know saying when you lose hands down your best player and the player you know they would look to and just give give the ball, give the ball, give the ball. So you know that they're looking at a new formation and you know they they have the wing backs, they have five at the back, um, and you're also changing the fundamental way that you know, you play and you no longer have that central. Give give the player a ball and see what happens. I mean, you know, McGinn's a fine player and he, you know, was brilliant at the weekend. But he he's a, he's a very different player. You know, he's he's an eight, whereas uh, you know, Grealish was that was that ten essentially. But I I think I mean Villa do have these long dips in form. They had a fairly disastrous end to a couple of years ago where they had to stay up on the last day and. You know, I, I feel like they always have slumps. At the moment, it seems to be a couple of wins, a couple of defeats. Um, maybe it, that's just more the nature of the Premier League and it, it's hard to be, 
yeah, one of those sort of middle of the pack teams who can go on a run of four or five victories. Maybe this is just the way it is. So grits then. Let, let's say it's a reasonably big upheaval at Villa, and they brought in a few players: Ings, Leon Bailey, a few others. Um, do you think it's a team that once they do click, once they do work it out? they could be as good, if not better, than last season, even without Jack Grealish. Oh, definitely. I, I think there are a couple of players who have just just finding that they're, they're settled back three. They do seem to chop and change that a lot with Courtney House coming back. I know that he's a great defender. I think that you know, he'd scored the week before. I didn't know if he, was, um, if he just wasn't right to be able to play. I think you also look at the two goals that they conceded were kind of momentum mm. goals from Wolves, and Wolves yeah. are a strong team. You know, um, so... Let's give Wolves some credit there. It was a derby match. There was a lot of variables involved in that. And their form wasn't... We'll talk about Wolves in a minute, Grits, because I think they yeah. we, we they deserve to have some uh, some light shone yeah. on them, don't they? They do. And I, I, yeah, and I just well, I just think, you know, in terms of in terms of uh, Villa's form going into that, they had won the previous two, so it wasn't all bad. But yeah, but yeah. No, no. Good win for Wolves. Absolutely. It's, it's just one of those games, isn't it? It's sort of uh, not that local, but a pretty local derby at home. You just want to get that one over the line and for... To, to capitulate the way that, the way they did, and it's not like them at all. They are defensively pretty solid, so it was a strange one. Uh, let's talk about Arsenal then. Um, they're at home for this one against Villa. Um, Gareth, did you see Arsenal against Palace in the week? Um, I saw some of the game. I, I mean, by the end of the, you know, a friend of ours was was at the game and in the Crystal Palace end, and he made the point that it felt like more Crystal Palace fans saw the equaliser than Arsenal fans in terms of. You know, yeah, the amount of people who'd left the stadium at that late, late point. But I think that also speaks to the fact that, you know, there isn't that much belief in this side that when they're losing, they will necessarily go and get that equaliser. They will go and get, you know, what they do. It's, you know, it, it was previously unfathomable that Arsenal would, would struggle against Crystal Palace. But I, I think going into that game, people were expecting that Palace could do something there, which I, I, I think speaks a lot, you know. And obviously, Arsenal were in crisis when they had a few a few wins and suddenly, oh, maybe it's okay. But you look at the victories they had, the teams they beat were middling yeah. best. They were generally a poor bunch. I, I think but people flip-flop so much on Arsenal. I think more so than most other teams in the Premier League. People go from being, oh, it's awful, it's, it's over, it's finished. Three wins later, you know, well, we could get top four this year. I feel like all fan bases are fickle. We know that, large elements of them. But Arsenal seems to be next level. Yeah, but I think that maybe speaks to the fact that we don't really know what Arsenal are. I mean... They're neither good nor bad. They're just a middling team. But I think because they're such a big club, there's always this assumption that maybe they're better than they are. Um, so it's maybe we're overly surprised when they when they lose. But also when the team is that noted when they do lose a few, that that's where the sort of the hype machine goes into overdrive. I think maybe it's just the case that the media in general and 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 the wider sort of football watching public just have to accept that. Arsenal are just, you know, a very, very average team. Yeah, Grits. Um, we talked about Arteta at the start of the season when it was all going wrong. Then he sort of stabilised it a little bit. Do you think he's... Uh, do you think he's in at danger still? We're, we're in a point now of the season where managers are starting to get sacked. We've already seen that. I mean, to be fair, one was Watford, which happens every other week anyway. But And Steve Bruce was probably inevitable. But it now means that if Arsenal do sack Arteta they're not going to be the guys that pulled the trigger early, you know, that people would would sort of understand it. Do you think Arteta is in imminent danger or is it just sort of medium-term danger? I don't think he's in imminent danger because I think that 
this league, if anything, we've seen over the last two seasons, particularly when it was behind closed doors. I mean, how crazy was it? You put a little run together, two or three wins, and you could just jump up so many places. And I know it's always been tight outside the top six. But I take this in a difficult position because fans' expectations now, they want ins- they want inspirational characters. They look to the top and they're like, oh, the- we want a Jurgen Klopp or we want someone that's got this real personality. Because um, that, as much as anything about your tactical now, you want some sort of some someone to rally behind. I, I think Potter's got it at Brighton. I think even Fark has got it at Norwich. I think these guys that have a very affable Hassan Hootel. Hassan Hootel's definitely got it. There's there's something about the you know that that Arteta's lacking and, and fans are quick to turn on managers, particularly with the way that they react. He's quite truculent and he gets a little bit spiky with um the media whenever he's put under duress rather than hold his hands up. I think some fans are a bit more accepting of that. Um, so he's got that. He's got a. He's certainly got a charm and, and PR offensive on his hands. But you know, a club like Arsenal should be expecting more of its big players, and if not, signing the right big players to replace them. And I don't know that he signed. I don't think his um, the players that he signed in the summer have, have made an impact or been or been impressive enough to say, satisfy the fan base. But I, I I wonder about this all the time. Like I just don't know how much say managers really have anymore. I mean, obviously, they, they, they probably get the, the final refusal on whether they sign a player or not. But is it not more down to sort of directors of football? And I mean, Edu at Arsenal seems to be the one taking the brunt of the criticism online. Is it not more him that makes those decisions? I've got no idea. I mean, help me out here, Gareth. I, I mean, I, I have no idea. I think, obviously, it does structurally change from, from club to club. Sometimes I think um, you make a point, you know, the sporting director gets... Get, gets uh, pellets on social media. Sometimes I think that's just fans trying to show how much they know about the club structures. Yeah. Like, well, clearly the issue isn't with the managers, it's with the sporting director. Everyone knows that. Yeah, you, know, you really need to look at the chain of organisation. It's nonsense. You know, ultimately it's, uh, I think with Arsenal, you know, structurally, they just seem quite rotten. I, I think when you start with a seemingly apathetic owner who is happy for his club to stay in the Premier League and you know swim around the mid-table, maybe get some Europa Cups, a bit of a cup run, and he can just uh, just coin it on the TV money. That the issue's just gonna stay. You know, it doesn't matter how good your sporting director is, if you don't really have the budget to compete, you can't keep pulling out 20 million pound players and have them turn into 100 million pound players. If everyone could do that, then well, you know, it would be easy. It's uh, usually the kind of hit rate there, uh, you know, maybe two or three out of 10, and that sustains you. I mean, Spurs tried to do that uh, for the last 10 years, and, you know, it happens with an Ericsson, and then most of the time it doesn't happen with people like Soldado and, you know, even Tangai, you know, and Dombele, who's, you know, we broke our transfer record, and two, two years later, it's like people still don't know if he's any good. So it's really <laughs> hard competing in that marketplace, you know, it's, and as long as Arsenal, you know, essentially have put those, those limiters on, on what they're going to do. I, I don't know whether the sporting director is the problem or, or whatever. It's they're, they're, they're mired in mediocre, mediocrity. Yeah. It feels grits like Arsenal have never really been further away than the top four than they are currently. Doesn't it? I, I can't see much progress. I mean, you look at someone like when Ferguson left United, United had those wilderness years but they were never that far away from the top four. You know, they had a couple of years, maybe seventh or something. But it was only it was always within eighteen months they were there or thereabouts again. Arsenal, I just feel like 
they are just a mid-table team. They're just, they are you know, maybe slightly better than that. Maybe sort of, who are their competitors at the minute, Grits? Who, who are Arsenal's reasonable competitors? And going forward, how long do you see that happening? Listen, I think it comes down to, certainly in my experience when I played, it comes down to when you join a club, it could be on parity with another club. So I, I, went, I joined Chesterfield. The expectation for Chesterfield was to go up. Uh, the expectation from Macclesfield, where I left, was to stay up. Now, we were level in the table with Chesterfield, but because the mood of the fans and the atmosphere at the club is totally skewed by that. Now, Arsenal, a perfect example, Arsenal's expectations are to be top six. So anything that doesn't fulfil that is constantly disappointing. Now, if you put, uh, you, I don't know, you mix that with, say, let's see another team that's around them. Um, I don't know, you, I wouldn't even say Villa. I'd say someone like Brentford. Brentford, the expectation is, let's stay up. So they get they're forgiven any any um you know minor discretions yeah, or like kind of mistakes you can ride with the punch. No, I'm not saying that those uh, there's an yeah, obvious there's a bit, statement here. Yeah, of course. Yeah, but it just means that everything is viewed through that lens. And I think Arsenal right now is just like nah, because it's just been a kind of a succession of you know Emery. I mean, whether he was a good manager or not, no one would ever have kind of found out because you you worried about. What was actually going on in the dressing room? Again, we'll come back to the owners because Gareth made a good point on that. It's like if you've got an apathetic owner, then you're kind of stuffed. You know, you need some sort of synergy between the, you know, at that level. I agree with all of this, Grits, but the problem is that Arsenal haven't been successful for a long time. All right, they won the FA Cup recently, but they've not been a successful top four, top five club for a long time. So how long does it take for the fans? and the people involved to recalibrate those expectations. The, the, the comparison with Brentford is a good one right now, but realistically, it's relative, isn't it? They're, com- they're completely different ends of the spectrum in terms of what they expect from, from their Premier League campaigns. Well, yeah, but you, you're a Derby fan. You'll tell me. Uh, uh, Sheffield Wednesday fans, Forest fans from the 1990s, Co- Coventry City fans, fans that were clubs that were just like, oh, we're... A- we're the kind of plucky outsiders. We're the rogue left field team that actually can stay in this league because we're good enough. And then one thing happens and you plummet and you never get back. And guess what? Those fans are still miserable as sin and licking their wounds from those <laughs> things and have never yeah. said we're a championship club. We always subscribe to more. You get the leads are a perfect example of that. It's the it's the football condition, isn't it? It's it's so crushingly it uh, <laughs> it's so crushingly disappointing with the occasional peak ties. But um, you know, oh, Gareth, let's bring Gareth in because he's a Spurs fan. <laughs> right, thank you. I I was actually <laughs> thinking that um, Newcastle might be the best version of that, given that they were a title challenging team in the nineties and then spent all of the nineties and the early two thousands being a strong competitive team who would just start sliding and sliding and then. One day, you know, one season they got relegated and they, you know, they've never really until now been back since. So maybe if you want to look at a worst case scenario trajectory for Arsenal, they they can follow, you know, Newcastle from 1992 to 2010 and see how it all kind of ends up as a slow decline. Okay. Love I mean, love that. Yeah. Bang on. Let's, go, let's go to a break and think about that, shall we? Uh, after which we'll talk about Leeds against Wolves and a brilliant and genuinely super Sunday. Welcome back to the show. Right, Gareth, uh, let's talk about Leeds United versus Wolves. We've not talked about Leeds that much this season. Um, it's not been great, has it? Uh, describe to me in in broad strokes the way you've seen Wolves, uh, you've seen Leeds this season, and if you have any fears for them uh, going forward, given the sort of murder ball training techniques they use. But it's, I, I know it's 
it's an easy narrative to say, oh, you can't keep doing it for too long and Bielsa's teams always end up fading away. But usually they start each season fresh and looking good and then it's, you know, two-thirds away through the season, they run out of gas. They That didn't happen last season. You know, that was what really kind of astonished people or at least proved the doubters wrong, that they they seemed strong and they kept going. And But this year, they, they just seem a little bit off the pace and it's been noted that maybe they aren't pressing quite as hard or there isn't necessarily the same energy there as as was in um, last year. So I don't know whether that is a knock-on effect of a long summer for a lot of players, people like Calvin Phillips, who's currently missing, but obviously played through some of England. You know, Bamford is is injured. They have been unfortunate with some injuries. You know, they lost, uh, you know, Cock at the back. and Calvin Phillips Barrett, has been out. Calvin Phillips is out. They've had and, Rafinha uh, off to international duty and back well, and missing games. It. So it, it may just be an unsettled starting lineup, you know, and Leeds are a very tight, small squad. Um, so unless, you know, their best 15 or 16 players are available, they might struggle. Or if you want to continue the narrative, say, oh, well, it didn't catch up with them last year, but turns out in the second season, they're, 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 they've, they've come into season fatigue. It's it's hard to tell. I mean, I, I think there is probably the benefit of the doubt to be able that he will be able to write the ship. But it's one of those, we, we, each year there is a club where, you get to October, November, and you say they'll be fine, they'll be fine, and then suddenly it's uh, you know January or February. And you're like they might not be fine. Um, I remember you know last year with Sheffield United, and that, that's obviously a worst case scenario. There was for a while a disbelief going, "Wow, they can't be this bad after being so good the previous year." And it was almost an acceptance. You know, and you're like, to, "No, no, no, they can. They can be worse." Yeah, it suddenly, it suddenly dawns in. You're like, "Oh God, they might be awful." And uh, I don't think Leeds are in that position, but if they lose a couple more, if they fail to pick up some wins, then you know the table doesn't lie. They will be in a very tough position. You, you, you know someone's doing badly when Derby County start trending because everyone's talking about, oh, they're going to break Derby's record. Um, Grits, as a player, if you start the season fatigued, is it possible to play through that and come out the other end and maintain a certain level? Or is it just the only way of dealing with this is rest? Well, no, I think the only way of dealing with this is getting, unfortunately, you change your management. So um, yeah. I, don't th- I don't want Bielsa to go, and I don't think he should go. I just, what generally stops the rot is players, the fear of God put into players again and having someone new come in and having a system. These players are loyal to the manager, that's fine. Unless the club are going to invest massively for January, because I genuinely feel, sorry to go on off a tangent here, I think oh. Norwich are going to start winning games. Right, Norwich have had a really tough opener. That, hear hear me out. Hear me Strap out. Strap in, everybody. The opening games, they started the season was brutal, right? The last two games, uh, both clean sheets, not really looked like conceding and both and should have won both games, all right? So I think when Norwich start winning games, then you're going to look at Leeds. If Leeds go below Norwich, because it's quite easy, they only have six points, Um because Norwich are a solid, well-set-up outfit. If they start scoring goals, I know Norwich are the weakest team uh, on paper. Let, let, me just, let, let, let me just go through some some uh, fixtures coming up, Grits, and you can tell me where they're going to get points. I don't disagree with you, by the way. Yeah. I'm just uh, interested in what you think. So Chelsea away this weekend. We yeah. can maybe write that one off. Yeah. Um, home to not, home to uh, Leeds. There you go. That's, that's doable. Away at Brentford. Yep. Yeah. Well, it's a tough game, but there's nothing to fear. Go on. Okay. Well, there is. There is. Um, Southampton at home. See, this is the problem. Norwich is Norwich is the sort of team where, and I've been been through this with Derby in the Premier League. The the big teams, you you just go there, have a nice day out because it's a free hit. 
it's the games like Southampton at home, the games like Brentford away. At the start of the season, you'd have circled that one and said, here's somewhere we can get points. That's when the pressure's on, and that's where if you don't get the points in those games, and we're still early in the season, but that's when heads start to drop, isn't it? So I'm thinking, if they can get through this little run now with some points, fine. If they can't, it could be just a very slippery slope for them. Yeah, I agree, but the points are built on um, the team coming through. Clean sheets is such a big thing in the Premier League. Because they were leaking goals, they'll look at this and go, all we have to do is put the ball on the other. And, and the, I know it's obvious, it is it? But if we start scoring goals, they haven't scored. No one's scored apart from Pookie. They're going to start coming good. There's something. They'll have a little run. And if they win a couple of games, I'm just putting out there now because at Christmas time, I want us to go, oh my God, Grits was right. Or Leon, I would like you to remove this, Leon, our producer. Um, or we can say, can we have Grits taken off the podcast, please? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just saying things like that are an issue for Leeds because Leeds again, just seem to be kind of boom-bust in their matches. You don't yeah. quite know what's going to happen. Unfortunately, the, the boom part last year, you had players like Rafina, Bamford uh, producing the goods. You had players, you were relying on people like Dallas to score goals from midfield. You, you know, mm-hmm. There was a lot of p- people chipping in. I mean, Dan James has come in. He hasn't really added a lot so far. You know, he had a good chance at the weekend and you're like going, well, you've got to have an impact, son. You're coming in, you yeah, know, 20-odd yeah, million yeah. and that's what we need. And, you know, Man U just shows you why they were so quick to get rid of him. Good fee as well. Uh, okay, they're playing Wolves though, Leeds. So let's talk about them for a, a brief moment before we just go all Bielsa heavy. Um, Gareth, that comeback, we sort of mentioned it earlier on, talking about Villa, but that comeback was... Feels like it could be a defining moment for them going forward, doesn't it? Yeah, it was sensational and it it put the cherry on top of a, a really good month for Wolves. You know, they've quietly gone about winning some games. They had a they had a very up and down start, but you know, a new manager, a club that was coming off a very, you know, rough previous season. It maybe it's not too surprising that they 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 didn't come out like the clappers, but they've now won their last three Premier League games. They've won four out yep. of five. Uh, Bruno Lage, um, you know, looks like a very, you know, astute, competent manager. And it, again, it's one of those ones that it's when he came in, I, I think the majority of, of Premier League fans had no idea who he was. So there was always, well, well who, are, who are this team that have been struggling? Have they made the right appointment? And, you know, give it two months to bed in and, and suddenly they, they look good. And it's a reminder that they have been such a well-built team over the last two, two, three years. You know, the part of the reason why they, they were well-managed and well-curated by, uh, uh, by Nuno. But I think partly they've just been really well put together. Um, yeah. And now that players are coming right. back and, you know, people like Daniel Podence, uh, back coming off the bench, obviously with that huge impact. Raul Jimenez is looking like he's back to form. He was obviously not a factor in the uh, game against Villa because he'd had that long trip back and and, and busy midweek break, uh, sorry, midweek uh, international series with uh, with Mexico. But the fact that they can bring these players on is you yeah. know, is, is really promising, given that you look at you know nine months ago and they they barely had a striker to to, to put on the pitch. And Huang Hee Chan looks good as well. Trincao looks like he would be, be able to offer something. Um, when Neves scored the winning goal against Villa at the weekend, it was that deflected free kick, and it was my favourite sound in football. You know, normally when a when ball is hit from a free kick, as it goes over the wall, the, the, the distance between over the wall and what happens next, i.e. over the bar or in the goal or whatever, the sort of silence that you have in the stadium. But it's even better when it's deflected and it rolls in so slowly, because the silence was felt like, you know, 10 seconds long. It's minus sound. It's not even silence. It's like a vacuum has sucked all the sound out. 
Anyway, I just wanted to say that. It, it was like watching a <laughs> tank roll through Tiananmen Square slowly. Look at that. Takes a swig of his drink. A delicious Carabao while he says it. Uh, let's talk about um, Sunday's games. We ain't got long left on the podcast, but uh, we've got to talk about these. It's a really, really good Sunday coming up. We'll start Grits uh, with a club that you know well. West Ham at home to a club you know very well, Gareth. Spurs. West Ham, Spurs. Take it away, Grits. This should be a cracker, shouldn't it? Well, it should, but you've got... Uh... You've got West Ham playing in the Europa this week, and you know I know that uh, Spurs are as well, but uh, West Ham seems to be. So, uh, yeah, oh, well, you know what I mean. There's playing in Europe, and um, it's just the hangover from that is a is a slight issue for West Ham at the minute. So they need to whether Moyes plays a slightly different team against Genk and, and looks to keep it fresh for Sunday. But you know it's an it's an early kickoff, as you said, and I just I would like to think West Ham. Um, you know, have, have worked out a slightly different pre-match routine, but who knows? Let, let's see. But, but, you know, Spurs have had their, their own issues and, you know, what they did against Newcastle was um, actually quite impressive considering they turned that round so quickly under that pressure. I know that Newcastle capitulated quite quickly as well, but, um, you know, in terms of going up there and, uh, and ruining the goal down straight away. Yeah, yeah. I think that, that was that, that's some good fortitude from them. Finally. Yeah. Finally, Gareth. Well, what, did you, what did you make of it? How are you feeling? Anyway, it it was really, really fun to watch because I don't think any other club would let Spurs his attackers have so much of the ball and just stand there and be like, okay, fine. It was, you know, Newcastle was so passive. It was unbelievable. You know, they don't press. And, you know, Spurs' attackers are excellent. Their midfield's middling. Their defence is pretty poor. So the idea of saying, well, let's just let their attack, you know, have their way is is just, you know, is I mean, I would have sacked Steve Bruce purely on the basis of of, of that of that um, that approach to that game, but it it was really good to see. You know, Ndombele was was fantastic, and Kane scores a brilliant goal, and 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 suddenly looks like the player he hasn't looked like for six months. But it's so hard to judge whether Spurs have turned the corner based on based on that Newcastle game because of because of the opposition. But what what's interesting with the game on Sunday is that. Um, Spurs are playing away in the Europa Conference and they are not sending any of the players who played against Newcastle on the trip. They're oh, staying interesting. back. Um, oh, there you and go. Essentially. And I guess uh, West Ham are playing at the London Stadium, right? In the, on Thursday? Yep. Uh, so, yep. I, obviously, no, they realise that you know, Spurs would be at a much greater disadvantage to to have them travel. So, he's I, I'm not sure he's forfeiting the game, but he's certainly saying, well, you know, my reserves need to do need to show why they should be in consideration for the uh, for the first team. And and obviously he's decided that a, a league game against West Ham is more important than uh, a Europa Conference game. And I think most Spurs fans would agree. Well, I think so. Difference is this week you're not playing against a, uh, a tactically inept cabbage head, as uh, Steve Bruce was described by himself, weirdly. <laughs> oh. um, awful. Poster, yeah, you got to feel sorry for him, haven't you? But at the same time, it sort of felt inevitable. Um, well, let's talk about was- Brentford-Leicester. Oh, Grits, have you got time? Uh, yeah, no, I was just about to say that I just wanted to rattle through the most uninspiring list of next managers. Have you seen the, the <laughs> list for Newcastle? Can, no. Um, so, uh, uh, Lampard, Man- presumably? Yeah, absolutely. Got Mancini and Rogers at 28 to 1. I mean, neither of them are going to come. Mourinho, 25 to 1. Graham Potter, 25 to 1. Um, mm-hmm. Frank Lampard, one. 20 to 1. Steven Gerrard, 18 to 1. Favre, 7 to 1. Eddie Howe, 9 to 2. And Paolo Fonseca slammed on favourite. So, I mean, it's, you know... Eddie how? More like Eddie why? Yeah. <laughs> Very good. It's not bad yeah, stuff. I can't see it happening. 
Yeah, well, we, I mean, it, it's. I don't think they're going to get an elite manager straight away. I think Potter would be a fantastic shout, but I mean, he's got a great he's got a great thing going on at the minute. Why would he ever leave Brighton at the moment? He looks, you know, they they are English. an excellent side, and it, yeah. you, you, you're sort of going to Newcastle feels like. Uh, first of all, morally, do you want to do it? Okay, if you do, fine. If you don't, I understand. But I I don't feel like they're an ownership that will give you time. Um, I know we don't know much about them, but just from their track record as a country, I don't think they're going to give you a lot of Patient. leeway. <laughs> yeah, I just don't see it. We're running out of time. Yeah. running out of time. Everyone shut up. Uh, let's do Brentford-Leicester and then we'll finish on United-Liverpool, which uh, staggeringly is, is the last game we're covering. Uh, but Brentford-Leicester, um, huge win at the weekend for Leicester. I thought they were really good against a pretty poor United. Um, again, I mean, similar to the, to the Wolves one, this feels like it has to be a season-defining moment, doesn't it, Gareth? Yeah, it's, um, I mean, with Leicester, they, they pull out these huge wins and then sometimes they'll struggle, but the, we know they have the quality. That that first team is fantastic. And when, when Vardy is playing well, then he can still raise that team up a level. And with Brentford, you know, I, I, I thought they did they did pretty well against Chelsea. It was, it was a tough game. I, I thought in the last 20 minutes, they really put the pressure on. They really pushed Chelsea. Um, this is, I, I guess, you know, the exciting new team coming up against the team that, you know, ruffled feathers a few years ago, but are now almost part of the establishment. Well, it should certainly be considered yeah, yeah. that. They've been good enough long enough. And um, whoever, if someone wins this game, is going to end up around, you know, that 13, 14 point mark and will suddenly be around the top seven. So that that that's got to be, I mean, that's the least that Leicester are expecting from this season. And I think... For Leicester, that that's the minimum place they expect to be this season, and for Brentford to be up there would be absolutely incredible. Grits, are Brentford just going to run out of steam? Is just being too too uh, simplistic? Now, Brentford are going to steal Leicester's lunch on Sunday because uh, Leicester away in Spartak Moscow, uh, and we all know that that's a that's a, t- a long journey and a tough place to go. And after the Man United exploits, I reckon they're just going to they'll do what they did to West Ham. Brentford came to West Ham after the Europa and we're just the last 10 minutes just relentless and it's, it's what it's what happens you know so I think um, yeah I think Brentford are, are good for this season anyway Mark what, what are you smacking at? I'm smacking because my music came on in the background I'm not sure why an absolute what, disaster what of technology in the last minute shambolic I got, I got a call come through and I declined it and then my music started playing. I don't know what's going on someone at Apple give me a shout give me some money uh, right last game we're going to talk about is the big one Gareth it's the big one. It's United against Liverpool. It doesn't matter where these two teams are ever. This is always a big game. Um, <laughs> I don't know what to say about United. We talked about them quite a bit this season. Um, just, I mean, it is just really poor from them at the moment. I watched Derby County last night um, under the management of Wayne Rooney at the moment. And um, they've got a very cohesive plan of what they want to do. And the other reason I'm mentioning this is that when you compare it to United's current manager... It just feels like chalk and cheese. And Rooney's got a lot less experience than Solskjaer. And to me, it's like the the most simple... I guess that the thing you expect, most of all, the least you expect from a manager, is after a couple of years, or a few years now, to have a plan. And he still doesn't really seem to have one. He's made wonderful signings, but they don't necessarily gel together. They've not had that much time together. But they look like strangers on the pitch. Gareth, are you... As an outsider looking in, are you finding plenty of glee in this, I imagine? But do you also think that a good manager coming in would just elevate this team straight away? 
Yeah, I do. I I think that even even someone who improves the team by 15, 20%, uh, which it feels like a good manager could do, would have them essentially as a you know, a genuine title contender based on based on the majority of the the squad and their you know their very best you know five or six players are, are, are just amazing and I I have been enjoying the um the 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 trials and travails of 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 Man United because just because Solskjaer is quite puffed up isn't he yeah um, he's definitely he feeling he's feeling some way. pressure now as well I think it feel, it seems like yes. And seeing how he reacts to that is quite, is quite interesting. I, I think he's, you know, when he does these... The interview he did, uh, which I saw in Match of the Day after the game, he said, okay, go, we should be better than this. And it's like, the fact that he's saying that is, you know, is a real issue. Who are you he, talking to? You know, Who is this director that? He, he's, he's transferring the blame onto the players, seemingly. He, he's sort of giving the impression that he's like, well, you know, we, we've had wake-up calls. You know, we've had warnings. They should know better than this. It's like, well, this is... Your job as a manager is to make sure that these mistakes don't happen. But, like, but there are moments. Basic thing. There are moments where players get the ball, and obviously he knows more about football than I do. That goes without saying. This is nonsense for me to really be commenting does at he? all. Well, does yes, he does. He? So Sancho, there's moments. So Sancho got the ball, for example, and there's just there is no movement off him. There's nothing off him, and, and you, you look at Bayern, uh, you look at Borussia Dortmund, and you think, oh yeah, well that's a really well drilled attack. Like well, they're playing. They're, they're, they're essentially playing like the NFL in terms of they're running plays. They've got these plans, they've got these um, passages of play and these patterns of play that the players understand they can all buy into. Whereas at United, it's like, and I mentioned it a few weeks ago, it's this hero ball thing. It's just, right, you're really good at football, just go and do something great. And, you know, you will get goals from that, but you're not going to get... United's floor is so low because they don't have any real cogent idea of what to do. So their ceiling's enormously high because they've got these wonderful players. Whereas Man City, their floor is still 7 out of 10 because they've got these, they, they know what they're doing tactically. And I think it's just been a bit of a disaster. Having said that, and I still will defend Solskjaer on this, they're in a much better place now than as a club than they were when he took over. And I think that is something to be said for that. In terms of the club, the players they've got, the, the sort of buoyancy of the, the fan base again, I think that is that is impressive. Um, and there's something to be said for that, isn't there, Grits? Yeah, the only thing I'd add on that, Mark, is a friend of the pod, Miguel Delaney's piece, which you may have seen or may have been citing about Sancho or just even the way he talked about him, saying that, see about that. structure. Yeah, really, he's mirroring kind of what you said there, Great just saying that he needs a plan, he needs to be part of a structure. Also, Sancho doesn't really know these players in a match day scenario. Yeah. Playing on the training ground is very different, but yeah, I'd, I'd love to be a fly in the wall and just see what they do work on, because as you're absolutely right, Man City's floor is a seven, because they work on that game. They don't just work on their shape, they work on yeah. the shape they're going to use in that game that weekend, I bet, and relentlessly so. So, um, yeah, uh, could do better uh, if we were giving him a grade. Absolutely, uh, you know, Shulskar would expect better from him. But you know, I think they've got to they've got to move on to to modernise. But how many managers are there out there that can, well, that can take on a club like Man United? Part of the problem. Uh, and, and the only ones out there. I mean, you think of Conte, but <laughs> it's defensive stuff, and it also negates United's best players, which are sort of traditionally attacking wide players. He's not going to be doing that. Um, Gareth, let's talk about Liverpool. They've got probably the best player in the world at the moment in Mo Salah. Uh, and Mane's not far behind him again. Um, they look the real deal again. Uh, this Liverpool side, it, it's very hard not to love them, right? Uh, I mean, they look absolutely outrageous. Um, it is ridiculous. And the number of goals that front three have contributed in the first first couple of months is is stunning. Usually they pick up 
pace during the season. And if they maintain the pace they're at, it's it's curtains for most teams. I mean, they they assaulted Watford. It, it was brutal. Um, Watford may have been the perfect opposition for them in terms of how sort of sluggish and, you know, how sort of uh, they're not a quick team that can uh, can keep up with, you know, a right-hand side with people like Salah and, uh, and Alexander-Arnold. But it's it's funny how quickly things move in football. And I think over the last year, we forgot how good that best version of Liverpool from a few years ago were. And now that they've got, you know, people like Van Dyke back, they've got a full complement of defenders. They can play on the front foot. They don't have to sort of drop deep because they're so worried about, you know, shipping goals. You know, this is this is back to the, the perfect iteration in Klopp's mind of, of of this Liverpool team. And you know, when they when they do hit the accelerator, they are they're stunning. How about how about for Mane as well being totally uh, um cock blocked by uh Salah just going into the top three African players to score hundred goals in the Premier League and then another one of them is the guy standing alongside you who's just got a few more than you. I mean that's I mean, still gonna flare up, isn't it? That's got to flare you, but- up. But you know things are going well because they aren't even shooting each other dagger eyes at the moment. Yes, they're living is, uh, relatively happily. Firmino's big uh, toothy grin is just uh, keeping them apart at the minute. But yeah, yeah I'm glad, lovely to see him back. Love that player. They're, they're, all, they're all just firing and they look so solid at the back. And then you, um, their new centre back they got from Leipzig. Remind me, uh, Canate. Canate. He's barely played a game yet because they've. It, They've got so many top quality centre backs. It's the opposite to last season. They just they've got so much strength and depth now. And then midfield, you look at that midfield and you think, well, on paper doesn't look that flashy, you know, Henderson, Milner, maybe Caters in there, maybe it's Jones. But they just work great. They work so well as a as a unit. Obviously, I've missed out Fabinho there, who I think is one of those top top players. Um, but generally, they're sort of a bit more workmanlike. But this is it. Klopp has got a framework. They no, can all again, play to it. Again, we're surprised that and you know uh, Henderson coming in has has helped so much because you're like, oh, it's Henderson, but he was the you know the, the football rights player of the year two seasons ago, eighteen months ago. Yeah, right. I mean, you know, it, it, it's it's it doesn't matter. Like you said, he's not the flashiest footballer ever, but you know how quickly you forget. You know, he was brilliant. He was so instrumental in that title winning season. Why why should we be surprised that his return absolutely coincides with a stabilized and and dynamic-looking team. Well, look, the, the takeaway is United are shit, Liverpool are incredible, so United will probably win the game on uh, Sunday. Uh, right, gents, that's what we've got time for this week on The Whistleblowers. Gareth, anything to plug quickly? Uh, only the same as usual. Go see some shows. Griff Reese tour starting this week. Go and get tickets. Lovely stuff. Lovely. Right, we'll be back same time, same place here on The Whistleblowers. If you want to advertise on or sponsor this show, check us out at Playback Media dot co dot uk